We are coming to the end of Romans, Romans 15. If I was to give this talk a theme, it would be this. The church that serves each other stays together, and the church that stays together gets strong through whatever happens in the world. We have to get along, church. Why? Because we cannot do Christianity alone. If you're like me, you draw spiritual strength through community. But community requires surrender and sacrifice. The world is dark. The church is the light. And we shine brightest when we are together. Welcome to the deep dive. Deep Dive Bible Study, Wednesday night, 7.30, Season 5, Episode 28. Hi, everyone. Welcome in. Let me know you're watching down below or on the side in the comments. And all I ask for simply is a like, share, and subscribe to the content. We're so glad that you're here at youtube.com slash timhatchlive. We're going to get into Romans 15, but today I come to you with a heavy heart, as I'm sure you are sharing right now with me on the tragic news out of Texas where a crazed madman slaughtered innocent children and teachers in a public school. I am saddened by this. I'm sure you are saddened by this. And if you are listening or hearing this content much later, just know that that's, this is the time frame in which I am presenting this content, and I feel the need to stop and just say something. And what I have to say is very clear. More than ever before, the, Bible, the scriptures are essential to our hope, to our faith, and to our lives. But more than ever before, so is Christian community. So is locking arms as the church. And here's my admonition to you right now. Please don't get into your political camps. Get into the body of Christ. Get into loving one another. This is not a time to divide. Our politicians are going to do that. Our president is going to do that. The news media is going to do that. We are the church. Left, right, middle, and either side. We can disagree about policies, but we have to come together under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And right now, love one another. Serve each other. Pray for each other. Weep together so that when we're done weeping, we can rejoice together. And our hearts and our prayers go out to those families. Cannot imagine the hardship that they are going through. I was dropping off my son, Jake, at school today. While I was driving him in, he was telling me these jokes that he found on YouTube, and they weren't that great, to be honest with you, just letting you know. But after this news, I said, tell me another one, Jake. And he told me another one. Tell me another one, Jake. And he told me another one. And I just cherished that time with my son. I cherished it more today than perhaps any other time. Love one another, friends. This is why Jesus came, to bring us together. Some people don't have sons. Some people have lost sons or daughters or moms or brothers. There's someone out there hurting right now. Someone might, one of those people might be you. Can I tell you that the answer has always been to root yourself deeper in the body of Christ. For in the body of Christ, we have fellowship. We have shared faith. And we have a shared home in our future. So on the, in the aftermath of, of, of this terrible tragedy, please guard yourself, church, from 
from divisive rhetoric about policies concerning guns or public school systems or what, whatever you think is going to be the answer politically. We as Christians always know that ultimately the hope is not a political answer. It's in a spiritual solution offered to us in Christ. So pull a Christian closer to you today. Pull a believer closer to you today. Because in the end, when it's all said and done and Jesus returns, that's all we're going to have. We're only going to have each other. I hope that helps. I hope that provides some measure of pastoral guidance through this moment. And again, if you're listening to this content in the future, my apologies for this moment. Well, I don't really apologize, but just understand why I'm taking this moment. And I am praying for the families and I'm praying for us, the church, that we will come together and be united in the, in the love of God and the fellowship and the communion of the Holy Spirit. Let's ask God to bless us in the study of his word and then we'll get into Romans. Father, speak. Help us to hear. And help us to feel the love of Jesus for us so that we can express love in Jesus' name for one another. We ask this in his name. Amen. Romans chapter 15, and today's content comes on the heels of last week's content in Paul's, dis- in, in Paul's discussion of the weak and the strong. In every church, there are weak and strong Christians. Let me tell you again, reminding, reminding you from last week's content of what the weak Christians were. They were in the Roman context, the Roman church context, the Jewish Christians who had been saved out of Judaism or while Jewish, Jewish believers. And they were tied to the feast days and the festivals and the annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. And they were also tied to the kosher meal laws of Leviticus about what was unclean and what was clean to eat. They couldn't push past that. They were, they were weak because though the gospel eliminates the civic those ceremonial, not civic, the ceremonial laws of the Torah, the first five books of Moses, that, that Christ fulfilled that. And, and so at the cross, the moral law comes through. Well, actually, the moral law goes higher. At the cross, the civil law comes through. and But at the cross, the ceremonial law stops. We don't sacrifice goats. We don't sacrifice oxen. We don't sacrifice sheep. We stop that. We also don't practice any ceremonial food laws anymore. That's finished the cross. Acts chapter 10. The proof text for the fact that that's finished at the cross, Jesus himself telling Peter that you can kill and eat whatever you wish, animal-wise, and because Christ has made all things clean. And that is a picture of bringing the Gentiles into the church as well. So those were the weak. The strong were the Gentile Christians who had no history in those regulations and rules, and so they had no problem eating those meals, and they had no attachment to the Jewish feast days and holy days. And Paul is admonishing both, like, let's get together, let's, let's, let's work on this. And I think about this, and let me lean in here for a second, that the entire book of Romans, as rich and as thick as it is with theology, and we have talked a lot in this season on theology, important theology, theology of the gospel. There's no more important book in the book of in the New in the Old Testament and New Testament in New Testament 
than Romans, I believe, because Romans unpacks the entire narrative of God's redemptive purposes through Abraham, David, uh, um, Jesus, and into the Gentile nations through this book. But considering this, that as thick and as rich as the doctrine of Romans is, the practical implications are really the point of all that doctrine. So from Romans chapter 12 on is practical implications of the doctrine of Romans chapter 1 through 11. How do we live in light of the gospel's reality? And it should change everything. And it should bring us together, not divide us. And it should root us in a bond of peace with the Holy Spirit. And it should help us live as good citizens in under our governmental authorities. And it should help us to serve one another and consider others uh, with, with great deference and respect. And that is where we are here in Romans 15. So again, just leaning in, as great as the doctrine is, so many Christians... So many churches get, get all about doctrine and no implication. And I am challenging you through this talk, lean into the implication of the doctrine. Like if, if, if what you know about God does not shape how you live, then what you know is useless. If, if what you believe about Jesus doesn't change how you live toward others, then what you believe is useless. Faith without works is what? Dead. So we don't want to be dead in our faith. We want to be living and that changes how we treat one another. Let's get into what it meant. Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good to build him up. Again, immature and mature believer. Immaturity, abstinence to the things of unclean food and, and uh, observing feast days. Maturity was liberty. That if it's not in the New Testament, it's not off limits. Like if, if God doesn't say a specific no and draw a clear boundary line, it's not off limits. And that is that is the spectrum of believerhood in the Roman church. It's also one in your church. We talked about the divisions, how you raise your children, uh, re regarding movies and entertainment, regarding uh, voting on non-clear biblical issues, like how the government spends money. Like that, we can disagree about that. How the government handles certain things that are not clearly enunciated in Scripture. Then we talked about drinking, where drunkenness is definitely sin in the Scriptures, but drinking a wine or a beer here, we don't see a law against that. And, and other things, many other gray areas. Talked about that last week. So Paul now leans in on the strong. What does he say again? He says that the strong, the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, now notice the word we, because Paul is doing something really dynamic here. I just told you that the strong were the Gentiles who were not beholden to the ceremonial laws of the Torah, the New Test, the Old Testament's first five books. And he, this Jewish apostle, this tribe of Benjamin, Pharisee of Pharisees, is an old, is an old in his old life identifies not with the weak Jewish believers, but with the strong Gentile believers. An incredible statement, an incredible little just sleight of hand move here of Paul to say, look, I, I get it, Gentiles. I'm with you on this. I'm with you on this. We have freedom in Christ and thank God for that freedom. And I'm thankful for that freedom. And I'm also thankful that the Gentiles are now included in the mission of God. But we have an obligation. We have an obligation to those who don't share that freedom. And the word bear with, okay, this word in Greek is bastazo. Bastazo means that you endure, 
You tolerate, you support, you carry. The, there, there's a, another use of it in the New Testament in Mark 8 where it says that he carried our sorrows, he bore our griefs, that Jesus models this for us. He is the God who bears with us. When we're weak, he bears with us. He bears our weakness. And then this next line in verse two, let each of us please his neighbor. Can we talk about this word please for a second? Because I want to make sure that you're clear on something. He is not telling you to be a people pleaser. He's talking about how to handle your neighbor in a way that doesn't cause them duress. Like a melody can be pleasing, right? So your life can be pleasing to your neighbor. Pleasing your neighbors does not mean pleasing men. It means being delightful to them, being a, being a kind of neighbor that doesn't, doesn't cause them unnecessary grief, anxiety, or frustration. Why? Because you're not here to divide and separate. You're not here to create stupid, silly divisions that isolate and, and, you know, elevate you and ice and isolate you from others and, you know, demonize others. You're, you're a Christ follower. And so you should be a pleasing person to your neighbor. And then lastly, to build him up. Like that's the aim of your faith to build up someone other than you. That's your faith's point. In our culture today, do we not need more people building us up and less people tearing us down in a vicious attack, attack-oriented society, in, in, a, in a social media tear-down society? Do we not need more of this, more building up? The church must model neighbor-pleasing, being pleasing toward each other so that, th- that my neighbor gets stronger. And I don't demonize him for his weaknesses. Amen. That is the first two verses. And then verse three, he says this. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who approached you fell on me. So this is what Christ did, Paul says. Christ did not please himself. And I love the four here. Christ is the model. He's the one who bore our sins on the tree. He's the one who was hated for us. And the gospel is the great reversal, the great exchange. Christ gave up what he had in heaven to take what we were due in hell so that we could get what he had in heaven. That is the gospel, the great exchange of the work of Jesus Christ. And always remember this, and Paul is a master communicator in terms of Christian ethics. Christian ethics are always built on what Christ did for us. Please understand that Christians are living responsively from the work of Christ for them. Let me put this up on the screen that we do what we do as Christians because of what Christ did. We do what we do because Christ did what he did. So we love first John says, because he first loved us. And then we lead lives that people should follow because we're only reflecting or, or responding to what Christ did for us. So all over the New Testament, forgive as the Lord Jesus Christ forgave you. And here, welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. That was in the last chapter. Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. And then, and then Paul models this behavior. Everything that I'm doing is because of Christ. So I'm doing this not to please myself. I'm doing this because Christ has modeled this for me. He has shown me goodness in his grace and mercy for us. 
there is a responsiveness to the gospel. Once you receive the gospel and believe the gospel, it re- there's a response. It's the great uh, Newtonian law of physics, right? That there, with every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, in, in the spiritual world, that works as well. With every action of Christ, there is an equal and opposite reaction. In other words, if Christ forgives, then we are forgivers. If Christ welcomes, then we are welcomers. If Christ is someone who bears with us, then we bear with others. Don't you understand that everything that we do as Christians is not law and rule-based, it is relationship-based because we have received the goodness and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul will say things like this in 1 Corinthians 10 32 give no offense to the jews or greeks or to the church of god just as i try to please everyone in everything i do not seeking my own advantage but that of many that there may be that they may be saved be imitators of me as i am of christ i'm doing these things because i am following jesus christ or in second corinthians 8 9 when he talks about giving responsibly. We give because Jesus gave. So 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Don't you Don't you see here how he, how he handles giving? You give because Jesus became poor for you, so that you might become rich. It, it is the ultimate responsive Newtonian law of physics reaction to Christ's first and primary action. Philippians 2, 5, have this mind in you, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of men, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. In other words, in other words, if you believe this, if you believe that Jesus did what he did, then your life should reflect it. Your life should imitate it. Your life should respond to it. Verse four, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Let's underline two words, through endurance and through encouragement. And they both come from where? The scriptures. And once we learn endurance and encouragement from the scriptures, it yields, let's get to that last line, that last word, hope. How's your hope level? How is your hope level? What do you take when you have low energy? Vitamin B, right? What do you take when you're sad? Vitamin D, yeah? What do you take for your eyes? Vitamin K, what do you take for your immune system? Vitamin C, zinc, other vitamins, right? How's your vitamin Bible level? (laughs) If you're struggling with encouragement and endurance, could it be? No, it's not could it. It is because you have not been in the scriptures. The scriptures are a source of encouragement and a source of endurance. How? Because when you read the life of David, you read the life of Abraham. You read the life of Moses. You, you learn that this ancient book is thoroughly modern in that it deals with the eternal, the commonality of the human condition. We all struggle the way Abraham struggled, David struggled, Moses struggled. We all go through seasons where we are hideous sinners like David, like, like Abraham, like Moses. We all go through seasons where we don't believe that God is able to do things through us, like Moses does in Exodus 3 and 4, where he argues back and forth with God about being the one chosen to redeem, uh, take Israel out of slavery in Egypt, right? We all make terrible mistakes with parenting, marriage, friendships, like David does. So these encouragements come from the scriptures when we learn that we are just the same as them, And we all have moments of weakness, but when we learn how God could use them, forgive them, call them, empower them, strengthen them, and if necessary, redeem them and bring them back from the brink, he can do the same for us. How is your hope level? Get into the scriptures, get into reading the scriptures. This is what Paul's saying. 
is the way that we find endurance and encouragement so that we will have hope. Because hope is what separates Christians from the rest of the world. Right now, the rest of the world doesn't have an answer for the tragedies that ensue. The Christian has an answer. The answer is this, that no matter what happens in this world, what the devil meant for evil, God intended for, intends for our good. That we know that in spite of all that we see, that all the hideous, horrible events of our world, we know that God is working all things together for our good and for the eternal purposes that he has set forth for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. How is your Bible level? Get yourself some vitamin Bible. Amen. Verse five. May the God of endurance and encouragement. So there's the same words again, right? Let's go back. Endurance and encouragement. There they are. So may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. Oh, oh, this is so good. This is so, oh, I just get, woo. Live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. So there it is. There's the example. Live reflexively, live responsively from Christ's welcome of you. By the way, the word welcome, let me dig into this for a second. The word welcome is a very strong word. It It does not mean that you just, you just say, hey, come on in. No, no, no. It's the idea of taking someone by the arm and pulling themselves pulling them close to you. That's the word in Greek here. You are literally pulling them close to you. The word is funny. It's used actually where Jesus rebukes, um, where Peter rebukes Jesus. Remember in Matthew 16, when, when Jesus says, I'm going to the cross, the Bible says, Peter pulled him aside privately and said, this shall never happen to you. Like he was that urgent. Like, so that's the same word. And I, and I don't mean to use that negatively. I'm just saying it's this idea that you're not just saying, oh yeah, come on into our church. It's, hey, come close. Well, bring people, be willing to bring your people close to you. Christians do not live at arm's length from each other. We're in the business of showing hospitality and showing welcome to those who are different than us, who are new to us, who are strange to us, because that's what Christ did for us. And it should be the aim of every Christian to be a welcomer, to be a pull them close to me, right? In in, in fellowship, in harmony. Now that going back, let's go back because I want to make sure that we don't miss this. Words repeated in verse four, endurance and encouragement Go turn from the scriptures now to a prayer because he's praying here. May the God of endurance and encouragement. So, so the scriptures provide endurance and encouragement. Now let's pray those scriptures of endurance and encouragement into our lives that they will, that God through the scriptures will grant us to live in harmony with one another. Like too many Christians don't get this. Let me read the scriptures so that I have harmony with my brother. Let me go to the Bible to find out how I can be more connected to you. Think about that. That's, that's what he's saying here. So, so um, the God, like, let's pray for harmony so that with one accord that we, we can live together and one voice glorify God and the, and the world will see it. That, that's what it means. That's what, that's what this chapter is all about. And reminding you here now, Paul is talking to the Gentile Christians here, because that's who he talks about in verse verse one. We who are strong, we Gentiles, we non-law, ceremonial law-laden Gentiles, we got to bear with these Jews who are law-laden. And that way we can be together with them. We can pull them close. We can welcome them. We can be in partnership with them. And he's challenging those 
Gentiles to remember, remember uh, back in Romans 11, that because of them, you are now in Christ. Because of the Jews, you are now saved. Don't be arrogant. Don't forget that it is not you who support the root, but the root supports you. That's Romans 11, 18. So welcome those who, even if they think differently than you, they had a big part in bringing you to Christ. There is another passage of scripture where that word welcome is used and the translation is receive in English. And it's a very important passage is Luke 15 verse two, where it says, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So again, Christ receives you as a sinner, as someone who doesn't deserve God's love. Christ does receive you. So now you must be, therefore, you must be in the business of welcoming others so that God might be glorified. Isn't this powerful? Isn't this wonderful? Okay, verse 8. For I tell you that Christ... Now he's going to dig into Christ here. Became a servant to the circumcised. Now who are the circumcised? That's the Jews. Okay. So Christ became a a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. That's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In order that the Gentiles, okay, now they just call them the Gentiles. Sometimes they're referred to as the uncircumcised. But in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. Okay. Don't miss what Paul's unpacking here. Christ came as a servant. He says in Matthew 20 that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, how does he serve? He serves to show God's truthfulness. What, what, what Christ does is he lives the law and fulfills the law. He fulfills the law and the prophets, Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them, right? Not, not the least jot nor tittle shall be removed from the law, right? It is fixed. It is firm. But Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Everything that Christ did fulfilled the Old Testament law. He does that because he is fulfilling or confirming the promises to the patriarchs. The promises to the patriarchs are that God would use the Jews to reach the nations, okay? So you got, you got Noah in the flood, and there's a new nation. There's a new people because all the rest of the world was wiped out. Noah in the flood and his three sons, they break up. Then there's the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. And then in Genesis chapter 11, there's a tower of Babel. Then God scatters them and changes their languages and the nations are scattered. And then God in Genesis chapter 12 calls a man named Abraham to be the blessed people, the blessed lineage, the blessed line through which he would save the nations. So what Paul is saying here is that remember that Christ came to serve the Jews so that the Jews could see that all those promises to their ancestors were made true in Christ Jesus so that the Gentiles might actually fulfill the promise that was made to the patriarchs in the first place. And I bring you to verse 18 of Genesis 22, where it says to God says to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In other words, Abraham. I am not just calling you to be blessed. I'm calling you to be a blessing. That's in Genesis chapter 12 as well. But this is in a more important passage here in Genesis 22, that the reason why you are called to Abraham is to be a blessing to the nations. And Christ comes and fulfills all the law and the prophets so that the nation of Israel might be the true testimony to the other nations, the non-Jewish nations, that Christ is Lord. And he has come to bring us back to the Father. I shared this with my church a couple of weeks ago in Sunday service was that there is not a there is not a book in the Bible that is not written by a Jew. Every book of our Bible is written by a Jew. 
a chosen Jew through which the Holy Spirit wrote God's word and delivered it to us. The gospel was presented first to the Jews. This is Romans chapter 1, verse 17, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So we owe our faith to the Jews because of the true son of Abraham, Jesus Christ. Okay, then he goes and he starts quoting scripture. And let's take a look at this. As it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles. That's from two passages of scripture, 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18, where David is singing a song of deliverance uh, over his enemies, like God has saved him from his enemies. Now, don't forget this. David was delivered from enemies inside of Israel, aka his own family and Saul's family. And he was delivered from those outside of Israel, the Philistines, the Amorites, the Ammonites, and all those other people. So David is kind of a Christ figure in that he was rejected by Israel and he was delivered from the nations. Well, Jesus was accepted by Israel, some of Israel, rejected by Israel, and he's also accepted by the nations and also rejected by the nations. This is how the scriptures unpack for us the story of Jesus Christ. So then Paul's not done here in Romans 15 because he's going to continue to quote scripture. Let's go to Romans 15 verse 10. It says, and again, it says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Okay, that passage comes from Deuteronomy 32, verse 43, where Moses is singing a, a song of deliverance over Egypt. And it says literally, rejoice, O nations, with his people. Like, rejoice other nations with the Jewish nation. So rejoice, O people, with his people. Re rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then uh, verse 11, and again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. So that verse actually comes from Psalm 117.1. One. It's the shortest book, shortest chapter in the Bible. Praise the Lord, all nations, extol them, all peoples. Okay, written by a Jew, again, Psalm 117. And then it says this in verse 12, and, and, I, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, he, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles will hope. Two verses there, Isaiah 11, verse 1, uh, verse 1, and uh, Isaiah 11, verse 10. Sorry, I can't do the little dots. There we go, there's the dots. <laughs> so, three passages of Scripture from three different segments of Scripture are quoted here to emphasize something. He quotes from Deuteronomy, he quotes from the Psalms, he quotes from Isaiah. Now let me tell you who the, what, what three sections of scripture those verses come from. Deuteronomy from the Torah, the law, Psalms from the writings, and Isaiah from the prophets. And those are the three sections of the Old Testament scriptures, the Jewish scriptures. Here is a key interpretive principle of the Bible. Whenever a New Testament writer quotes from all three segments of the Old Testament, he is really emphasizing something. He is really emphasizing that point. In other words, he's saying all three voices of the Old Testament bear witness to the reality that God has sent Jesus to serve the Jews so that the Jews would reach the Gentiles. So important for where we're going at the end of this talk. But let's move on before we get any further. Verse 13, he says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So this is a powerful passage. What Paul is modeling here is something that you should be practicing. He just unpacked the scriptures, but then he prays it over the people. This is what you should be doing. Read the scripture and then pray the scripture. Read what God word, God's word says and then pray it into your life. So that you don't just read it, you receive it. And by the way, hot tip, our prayers should always align with scripture, always align with scripture. Prayers outside of scripture are not God-oriented, God-willed prayers. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't pray certain things in your life. You can't pray for certain 
request. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make a request known to God. So we, we pray about everything. Okay, whatever you need, pray for. Whatever you want, pray for. But model your prayer after scripture. So when you read scripture, you're not just reading it to get information, you're praying it to get transformation. And that is so important. Okay, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. Now, notice that this time he says brothers. That is an important qualifier there because now he's talking to the Jews. He just got done talking to the Gentiles, the, the strong believers, saying, look, you strong, we strong believers, Gentiles and me, we got to bear with the weaknesses of the Jewish fellowship. But now he turns to the Jews and look what he says to the Jews. You are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. You, like, you, you know the Bible. And you're good people. God has made you good. But, verse 15, on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Like this, this is not new. Because of the grace given to me by God to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying here is so powerful because he's talking to Jewish believers now. He's saying that he's addressed to the strong and now he addresses the weak and he says, look, there are some things that you know and you do well, but there are some things that you have forgotten. You've forgotten that God has called you to reach these Gentiles. So he's turned, he's, he's turned his message. And can I tell you that a good Bible preacher always challenges the weak and the strong. A good Bible preacher always challenges both sides of a contentious issue. Even myself, a lot of people get mad when I talk politics, but in my best efforts, I am trying to attack both good and bad, both left and right, both, both good and bad in the left and right of the political issues. A good preacher does not cater to one side of his congregation. He challenges the strong to bear with the weak, and he challenges the weak to remember that the strong, the people outside, the people different than you, are who you're called to reach. That's, that's what he's saying here to the Jews. He's saying, hey, Jews, remember that, that, the, that the, the priestly service of the gospel of God goes to the Gentiles. Like, this is so powerful. What were the priests of the Old Testament? They were the people who mediated the sacrifices between God and man. Well, now there's no sacrifice of animals required. Now it's the sacrifice of Christ and that message of the sacrifice of Christ that we mediate to the nations. And so now through Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel comes to people who are different than the Jews and the Jews must be in the business of receiving them. And that carries forward for every Christian thereafter. The Christian who is saved by the gospel has a responsibility to be in the priestly service of the gospel to bring it to those who are not yet saved by the gospel. And here's the thing. And this is a sticky issue for a lot of churches, a lot of Christians. The sticky issue is this, that sometimes after we get saved, we get only comfortable with those who are saved big issue in the church. And it becomes an increasingly big issue the longer you're saved. So the longer you're saved, the, the less open you are to welcome that new believer who's different than you, that Christian who just got saved and they are not as Christian as you, whatever you think that is. You know, Maybe they're work, being worked on in issues that you haven't yet worked on. Who knows? But here, here's, here's the point that Paul's making. Like, like this is the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is that we long and love, we long for and love people who are different than us to come into fellowship with us through the same blood of Jesus that saved us. As Martin Luther said, how strange is the glory of God. For God is glorified when believers of differing persuasions accept one another and when the strong bear the burdens of the weak. That's the glory of God. 
when we welcome different people. What does all this mean? Okay, I'm going to summarize this talk real quick, and I know this is a shortened episode, but it's okay, and I think short is good. Amen? Um, the aim of the gospel is love. Three things. The gospel is for everyone, including people very much unlike you. <laughs> and can you love people that are different than you? Then, number two, God saves you to be an agent of love for others that are unlike you. Like, this is not some kind of hypothesis or theory. This is an, this is a active, dedicated life. And then number three... God forms you through community with people unlike you. So the aim of the gospel is love. Love for people different than you that God might say to help shape you. Isn't that amazing? Like that person who's coming to church that dresses different than you. Maybe they're covered in tattoos and they've got nose and ear piercings and they just they just came to Christ. And, and I'm not saying <laughs> those things are sinful or not sinful. What I am saying is that don't make an assumption that that person is different than you or is not welcome to you or is not part of you anymore or is not part of you because they look differently. Don't, don't judge by appearances, Jesus said. You, you welcome them in. And if they profess faith in Christ and, and they want to grow and walk in Christ, we'll, we'll, we'll disregard those petty little differences because God could very much use that person to help shape you. <laughs> And I want to say this as a longtime believer because I am one. Some of the best people that I love to surround myself with are newly saved people who don't have all the Christian jargon down, the Christian, you know, routine down, the Christian mantras down. They, 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 they're still swearing. They're still, you know, I don't know, doing things that probably shouldn't do. But they're coming to Christ. And their exuberance for Christ is, is, a, tox, is, a, is a tonic for me. It's a, it's a tonic from my spirit to get, to get excited about the work of the Christ, uh, the work of the cross. Amen. So back to this, um, dichotomy of weak believers and strong believers. Remember these are from last week, weak believers, conviction over non-essentials, personal issue regarding that issue. Um, there's a personal preference, but it's not the biblical law. And then the strong believers, there's liberty over non-essentials. There's uh, a theological reason why they don't have an issue with that issue. And then their freedom may have consequences. Uh, your freedom might have consequences to others that you don't see. So you got to bear with the weak. Okay, two more things. One more thing I want to add to each side, right? So the weak believers have a responsibility to grow and the strong believers have a responsibility to bear. That this is a both and. This is not an either or. This is not we favor the weak or the strong. It is both right. Both strong and weak Christians need to learn and grow and serve each other. I bring you back to verse 8. That as Christ became a servant to the Jews, so that the Gentiles might hear, so too the church, Christians, become a servant to one another, and the weak and the strong serve the weak, so that more people can come to know Christ. This is so important, because this is how the church grows. The church does not grow only through biological reproduction of the already saved. <laughs> the church grows through supernatural reproduction of those who are saved. And the supernatural reproduction will sometimes reach people who are very different than you, and you need to love them and serve them in Christ. Let me put this up. Just as Christ came to serve the Jews so that the Jews would make way for the salvation of the Gentiles, true servanthood is modeled by our being shaped to love people different from us. And, and that's a mouthful, but it's so true. So we receive, we welcome different people into our lives and into our walk with Christ because those people are loved by God and are also going to be used to shape people like us. 
again, surround yourself, Christian, with some new Christians. Surround yourself, new Christians, with some longtime Christians. Because this is how you can both help each other and shape each other and grow. I think that longtime Christians need the exuberance of the young Christians and the exuberant and the and and new Christians need the experience and wisdom of the old Christians. And we must not separate. We must come together. Why does all this matter? I want to say something that's so important, and it's going to sum up this talk. If a church is serious about reaching unbelievers, that church must be ready to welcome people who act and look very different than them. Now, this statement comes with a qualifier, because maybe you belong to a church that's not serious about reaching unbelievers, and I, underst and I don't understand that. What is it about your church that you don't want to see other people get saved and come into your church? And I want to say something else here that there's a lot of Christians that say, well, I don't want the church to get too big. Well, you're going to hate heaven because heaven is huge. There's a number that no man can number. Revelation says, uh, there's people from every tongue, tribe, nation, color, race, you know, I'm sorry, but it's just a very big, diverse giga church. That's what heaven is. So if you're not into the big church movement, heaven might not be the place for you. Now, of course, there's going to be intimacy and there's going to be, you know, relationships and, and sometimes people get fearful of the big church because they don't want to be lost in the crowd and i understand that in heaven we won't have that issue because we have the the presence of the lord jesus christ the harmony of the holy spirit and all these stupid little petty issues that we divide over will be gone like the presence of sin will be gone so perfect harmony will exist in heaven but i am more concerned about this reality that look your church is here for the people who are not in the church like that that should be like baseline fact and fundamental uh, creed of every church. We are here for people that are not here. So if we're, if we're serious about that, well, that means I gotta be able to welcome people who are different than me, look different than me, vote differently than me, smell different than me, act differently than me. That's the heart of God. That's what Jesus did for me. As he did that for me, I must do that for them. And then finally, the last thing I wanna share is this, finally, the hope of heaven is solidified through the church's harmony on earth. And that's what Paul is talking about here. That through the encouragement of the scriptures and the endurance that we find in the scriptures, we have hope. But that hope produces a welcoming environment to other people. And we grow together and we get stronger together and we get encouraged together. I want to tell you this after 24 years of vocational ministry and 45 years of being raised in the church, you know, uh, saved in the church, filled with the Holy Spirit in the church. I mean, my whole life has been in the church. Okay. I still go through serious bouts of sadness, loneliness, isolation. And every week, I need church. Every single week, I need to be with the body of Christ. In fact, I need it more than once a week. That's why you have a small group. That's why I have things through the week that I get together with the church's men in our, in our church, the, and a small group of pastors that I get together with. I need relationships. There's a huge crisis of mental health in our culture right now. And it is probably the reason, in fact, it most definitely is the reason for all these shootings um, because people are mentally ill. And some people give me a bad rap. They think I don't believe in mental illness. Of course I do. Your brain is part of your body. Your body can get sick. Your brain can get sick. Like, let's not be childish here. Of course I believe in something called mental health, but mental health is not solved by a pill. I, I'm, not a, I'm not against pills. If you need a pill, take a pill. I'm not against it. But I am saying that there is something that brings health to your mental state. It's called community. 
It's called fellowship. It brings joy. It helps me. I know. I struggle. I do. And you should. And you probably do too. Not should. But you probably do too. With the same feelings of isolation, depression, anxiety, and all those other things. Are you in fellowship with other believers where you can laugh, cry, celebrate, confess sin, talk things out, work things out, ask questions? Are you in a community like that? Because that is how you get your health mentally fixed. Not in isolation with a pill, but in fellowship with the church. Because the hope of heaven is solidified. The hope of heaven in our heart is solidified by our harmony here on this earth. I'm t- I know I'm talking to someone. You've, you've, you've gone through a season where you just feel so alone. Man, it's time to get back into relationship and harmony. And do whatever it takes to maintain that harmony because it's so important to your health, your spiritual health, your mental health, your physical health. It helps. I'm living proof. And I'm a generally happy person, but I still go through sadness and depression. And what is always breaking me out is when I get together with the family of God. That's the that's the episode, guys. I'm so glad that you were here. If you would, do me a big favor. Like, share, and subscribe to the channel. Also, if you would, support the channel. There you go. There's the address, the cash app, Tim Hatch Live or timhatchlive.com support. I appreciate it. 10 Questions with Tim is back next week, believe it or not. 10 Questions with Tim is already the end of the month, which means that the first of the month, we have 10 Questions with Tim. Next Thursday, get your questions into ask at timhatchlive.com or the comments below. I'm so glad that you were here. The Deep End comes back Tuesday night. Uh, Wish you all the best. And again, prayers for Texas and the families who are so wounded right now. And prayers for the church to stay together, to live in harmony with one another. Because when we are together, we are strong. May God bless you.